Uh, So if you do have your Bible this morning, I invite you to turn to Jonah uh, 4. We do put the scripture up on the uh, screen for you, uh, but uh, I'll bounce around to a couple other passages as well and invite you to uh, take some notes as we uh, move along. So this is where Jonah ends. He is in the desert. He's sitting under a withered vine in the scorching heat and the blazing wind. His final words... I am so angry, I wish I were dead. Not a particularly encouraging note to end the book on, but it's actually one of the things I like about Jonah. Jonah, to me, is incredibly relatable. He's selfish. I'm selfish. He gets angry. I get angry. He is very slow to tell people about God when he has the opportunity. I can relate to this. He gets bitter. He cares mostly about his own safety and comfort. I think we can relate to this guy. Yeah? He's normal. He's average, just like us. Uh, I didn't mention, but um, a a couple weeks ago, I was in California for a church planner's training, and I got to have lunch with Christine, who we just prayed for a second ago. And I was very excited because my favorite hamburger in the world is in Southern California, In-N-Out Burger. Anybody had In-N-Out Burger before? So a few of us, you, you know the gospel of In-N-Out Burger and that it is the, the one and true hamburger gospel. Every other gospel is, is false and will one day acknowledge this truth. Anyways, I, I, I uh, went to high school in Southern California. It has a nostalgic hold on me, that hamburger. I love it. And so I said to Christine, hey, can we meet for lunch? I'll go buy In-N-Out. I'll get the hamburgers. Bring them over to your workplace. Yeah, that's fine. That's great. Day before we were going to meet, she emailed me and said, hey, I'm going to invite this friend, the friend we just prayed for, to join us. Um, he's kind of like in this faith journey. I'd love it if you could uh, talk with him, meet him, and you know, maybe just share some, uh, some insight with him. And you know what my first, th- my first thought was when I got that email? Uh, my first thought was, okay, as long as we can still have the hamburgers. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm, not, it's not, it's not, I'm not a good Christian in many different ways, and that is one of them. I like Jonah for these reasons. I I think he uh, is helpful to us because God used Jonah despite himself. And God uses us despite ourselves as well. Amen? Is that good news to anybody this morning? Um, But I, I also think the way this book ends invites us to ask, is this inevitable? Is Jonah's experience of God in this book, was it inevitable? Did it have to go this way? The book ends with God asking Jonah to consider the world from God's perspective. It's as though God were saying, Jonah, this doesn't have to end with you dying in the desert, bitter and alone. Jonah could have, in fact, returned to Israel to proclaim that God had defeated Israel's enemies in the most surprising way imaginable. He could have testified to the earth-shattering power of the God who was keeping his promise to make Israel a blessing to the entire world. He could have led his nation in return to worship the God who is sovereign over the sea, over the storm, over the giant fish and the vine and the worm, and yes, even over Israel's enemies. This was a possibility for him. And we've been kind to Jonah throughout this sermon series, again, because we can relate to him. We've taken, as best we can, into account his context, how severe the call to Nineveh must have sounded to his ears. But now the book ends, and it ends with God's voice. It's the most that we hear from God throughout the entire book. 
And clearly, God does not think that Jonah's experience was inevitable. God is inviting Jonah to consider the situation from his perspective. We don't know, we're not told whether Jonah ever comes around or not, but we're left with the promise that Jonah could have experienced this call very differently than he did. But in order to have done so, in order to have experienced this call in a much more hopeful manner, Jonah would have had to remember a few things that he seems to have forgotten. What do we need to remember when we hear God's call on our lives? God will absolutely use you as he used Jonah. When we say yes to Jesus, we're saying yes to Jesus' mission of compassion and mercy and justice and proclamation of his gospel in the world. Amen? Amen? That's what we're agreeing to. God will absolutely use us as he used Jonah. That's not the question. The question is whether or not you and I will experience the thrill and the miracle of being used by God. Whether we end up under a withered vine too concerned with our own comfort and safety to notice what God has done. Too locked into our assumptions about what God should do that we miss the chance to enjoy what God is actually doing. So, this morning, I want to point out three things that I think Jonah could have remembered. And I'm just going to call them out right now because they're kind of woven throughout the sermon here and I know some of you like a bit of an outline and structure. So these are the three things you can be paying attention to. First, God calls you from your weakness and your pain. This is the first thing that Jonah had forgotten that would have changed his experience. God calls you from your weakness and your pain. Second, God's mercy doesn't always feel merciful. God's mercy doesn't always feel merciful. And finally, God's plan of salvation can seem unfair and even absurd. God's salvation plan can seem unfair and absurd. So let's jump in. Last week, uh, Romelia preached uh, for us, and she took us to Jonah's anger. Jonah had seen Nineveh repent. Jonah had seen God show mercy to this violent people, Jonah's enemies. And he says to God, I knew this is what would happen. And he's not saying that in a pleasant sort of a way. He's bitter. I knew this is what would happen. And God replies in verse 4 of chapter 4, is it right for you to be angry? And last week, Romelia made the profound and important point that God was not judging Jonah's anger. He simply identified it for him. There were very good reasons for Jonah's anger, as we've seen throughout this series. He was responding out of his weakness and out of his pain, a pain that was legitimate and true. And it was this weakness and this pain that Jonah thought should have kept God from ever sending him to Nineveh in the first place. He believed that his painful experiences and memories were reason enough for God to overthrow Assyria, or at the very least, not send him there. God also sees Jonah's anger. He helps Jonah identify his own anger. The difference, though, is in how God interprets Jonah's anger. He interprets the source, the cause of Jonah's anger, very differently than Jonah did. 
Again, Jonah thought that his experience of Nineveh's violence and oppression was the very reason he should not go to Nineveh. God, on the other hand, saw this weakness and this pain as the very reason that Jonah was the right person for the job. That God calls us, that God calls individuals from our weakness and our pain is actually not a minor point in the Bible. Abram and Sarah, you might remember, are called from their infertility. Moses is called from his place of murder and isolation. Ruth, her husband died and she was called to the immigrant experience. A new land, a new people, a new culture, a new language. Esther is removed from her people and from her family. And then there's Jonah. Even Jesus fulfills his call after emptying himself of his power and his glory. He submits to the naked vulnerability of a birth to a young mother, to a childhood as a refugee in Egypt, an itinerant ministry that bordered on homelessness. This is no minor point in the Bible. And it's a theme that's not limited to the pages of Scripture. I've watched this work out among us. Last week, Romelia told some of her story about the anger she feels at times toward white people as she explores the evils committed against her ancestral family. Why would God call Romelia to preach in this multi-ethnic church? not to the safety and knownness of an African-American congregation. Is that a fair question, Romelia? You've heard Pastor Michelle share pieces of her story before about growing up within a black nationalist family. Am I saying that right, Michelle? A family who, as I understand it, to put it mildly, had a low regard for white people. Why on earth would God call Michelle Dodson to dedicate her life? The woman's pursuing a Ph.D. to the service and the study of the multi-ethnic church. I've told you before some of my own story of growing up in a missionary family. And, and, and I've come in hindsight to see that this always changing environment formed me in certain ways. Some that I am grateful for, others not so much. Formed me in ways to protect myself from others. To distrust people's motives and commitments. To assume that eventually, given enough time, anybody who I cared most about would leave. Why would God call me to be a pastor? Worse a church planter, where I would have to be brought face to face with my worst assumptions about how people work. And if I had your permission, I could tell many of your stories as well. The way you have wrestled with God's call, and you've had to wrestle because the call came not from your place of safety and strength, but from the places that made you angry and fearful sad. This isn't how we would do things, is it? 
This would not be how we would plan things. If it were up to us, Abram and Sarah would conceive a child before God called them. Moses would have spent his remaining years tending sheep quietly far from the land that was oppressing his people. Ruth would have found a new husband who shared her homeland and her culture rather than leaving everything that was familiar for her. God would have chosen someone other than the young Esther to save his people. Someone who wouldn't have to go to the very center of the empire's power armed only with a teenager's vulnerability and faith. If it were up to us, God's mercy would protect us from our places of weakness and pain, buffer us from them, rather than lead us from the very sources of these raw and vulnerable experiences. Of course, if it were up to us, Jesus would have remained in glory. By our logic, the Son of God would never have humbled himself to humanity's helplessness. God would have found another way. Another way to show mercy on his creation. One that avoided the embarrassment of an infant God. The scandal of a thirsty God, a tired God, a lonely God, a weeping God, a suffering and a dying and an abandoned God. In this last chapter, we see, I think, unmistakably that God's motivation from beginning to end of this book is his mercy, his deep, deep mercy. It is the theme that rumbles beneath the surface of God's call, of the storm, of the fish, the call to repentance, and now even here in this strange desert scene. Jonah sees it. He acknowledges it. He calls it out. I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. And God responds, says that his mercy is even greater than Jonah realized. Jonah, even the animals provoke my mercy. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left hand, and also many animals. It's a strange scene when you step back from it for a moment. Jonah is accusing God of being merciful. And it's an accusation that God owns up to. He admits it. It's as though Jonah says, God, the problem with you is that you show too much mercy. And God says, Jonah... If that's your problem, then it's worse than you thought because I care even for the animals of this city. This is not something we hear very often, right? That our problem with God is that he's too merciful. You and I inhabit a culture that assumes the relative goodness of every individual's desires. We're encouraged to pursue those desires as long as we're not intentionally or overtly harming anyone else. Right? So within that sort of a culture, with those assumptions, God is rejected not because of his mercy, but because we perceive him to be a judge. 
A judge who the idea goes holds each individual to an arbitrary standard of justice. This God judges everyone who does not submit to God's standards of beliefs and behaviors. That's the world we live in. That's the air we breathe. And so it's doubtful that you and I will ever hear of anybody rejecting God because he's too merciful. Even as he is regularly written off for being too judgmental. And yet, the Bible is overflowing with the mercy of God. Psalm 25, remember, Lord, your great mercy and love, for they are from of old. Psalm 28, praise be to the Lord, for he heard my cry for mercy. Isaiah 63, in his love and mercy, he redeemed them. He lifted them up and carried them all the days of old. Daniel 9, we do not make requests of you because you are righteous, but because of your great mercy. Micah 7, you do not stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. And Jonah understands this about God. He understands that while God's judgment has been provoked by the violence and the wickedness of the Ninevites, it is is his mercy that will always strive for the final word. His justice has been provoked, but his mercy strives for the last word. Thank you, Lord. I knew, Jonah says, that you are a gracious and a compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. And that's the problem, God. It's not God's judgment that Jonah struggles with. It's his mercy. Despite the way our culture thinks about judgment, I wonder if it's any different for us were we to think about it for a minute. You see, the great problem with God's mercy is that it is a mercy that knows no prejudice or bias. If I want mercy for me, then I must be okay with God's mercy extending to my enemy as well. God's mercy is wide and it is deep. It is a mercy that reaches even to the Assyrians. So then it is a mercy that cannot be bound or kept to ourselves. It is a mercy over which you and I have no expectation or no claim to manipulate. Our problem, if we're honest, is not that God is a judge. Of course God is a judge. He could not be good if he did not judge what was bad. He could not be God if he did not rule over creation as its one true judge. No, our problem is that this judge is too merciful. Too merciful for our tastes. Our problem is that his mercies are new every morning for everyone. Our problem, like Jonah, is that we don't get to choose on whom God pours his mercy. This is a kind of mercy that does not always feel merciful. There are other ways in which we struggle. 
to experience the mercy that God has shown us. And again, Jonah helps us with this. God's original call to go to Nineveh did not feel merciful to him. The storm, the raging, terrifying storm sent by God to stop Jonah's rescue ship did not feel merciful. And then there is this in our passage this morning. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. In this passage, Jonah has turned his back on God, refusing to answer his question in verse 4 that Romelia pointed us to last week. Is it right, God asks, for you to be angry? Jonah doesn't respond. Instead, Jonah has left the city, built a small shelter from the sun in the desert, and is waiting, hoping to see Nineveh destroyed. Now, what would we expect God to do at this point? Jonah, thus far, has disobeyed God's original call. He let the pagan sailors take the spiritual lead in the storm. Jonah cries for God's help as he sinks below the waves, but then once God rescues him with the fish, he never once asks for forgiveness for his rebellion. Jonah finally completes his assignment with the fewest words and the least enthusiasm of any Old Testament prophet. And now, now he makes explicit with his words that which his actions have shown us throughout this book. He wants Nineveh destroyed. What would you do if you were in God's position at this point? I'm guessing most of us would be very happy to leave Jonah exactly where he was. Good luck with your little shelter from the sun. Instead, God causes a vine to grow, to shade his prophet. And maybe we think that here, this is God's mercy, but it doesn't catch Jonah's attention. He's thankful for the vine, but he says nothing to God. It's only the following day when God sends a worm to eat the vine that Jonah finally turns back to God. Church, God's mercy looks like a worm chewing through Jonah's shade tree. Mercy looks like the sun beating down on his head, a scorching east wind, a prophet growing faint in the desert. Why is this mercy? Because it is only here, only now, when Jonah finally relents and acknowledges God's presence and for the first time is able to actually hear God's heart of why the Ninevites are so important to him. The worm, the sun, the scorching wind were God's mercy because they finally brought Jonah outside of himself and once again invited him to see the love and the grace of his God. God's mercy does not always feel merciful to us. Not right away, at least. And Jonah had forgotten about that. He'd forgotten that his that the experience of God's mercy can feel severe even as it works for our salvation. The call to Nineveh, the storm at sea, even the withering vine were all God's mercy shown to Jonah. The entire journey 
was an invitation to Jonah to experience levels of God's power and grace that would utterly transform him. God was inviting Jonah not simply to be the means, not simply to be the messenger, but to be transformed in the process. God's mercy to Jonah had the capacity to free him from his fear and his bitterness. God's mercy to Jonah had the capacity to open up his eyes to all that is possible with God. God's mercy shown to Jonah could have allowed him finally to confess God's compassion, patience, and love, not with bitterness, but with joy. God called Jonah from his weakness and his pain. But the call was meant to reveal God's strength in his weakness. And the call was meant to express God's healing power to Jonah's pain. A couple of days ago, uh, Romelia sent a video to Maggie and I of a little short little documentary that was done at the hospital that she worked at in San Diego for about a, a year, right? And this little documentary, it shows uh, this young man uh, from, from Africa. What country was he? From Zimbabwe. And uh, uh, as a teenager, he had picked up a, uh, a, an unexploded explosive. And uh, it, it blew up. And uh, it devastation to his, to his face lost most of his lower jaw. And the hospital that Romelia worked at arranged for him to to make the trip over and to undergo very extensive surgery to rebuild his face. And at one point, uh, for the first surgery, the doctor has to open up the young man's lower leg and literally saw through his bone to remove a piece of the bone. Mercy of God will not always feel merciful. A bone torn from the young man's leg. But the mercy of God always acts for our healing and our restoration. A new jaw. Tears of joy streaming down this young man's rebuilt face. Are you with me? God will absolutely call you from places of weakness and pain. But his mercy will bring you face to face with his power and his healing. Will you answer that call? Despite its intersection with your raw and vulnerable places. Where are the withering vines in your life? Where does the sun feel especially insufferable and the wind especially piercing? Could it be that God is using these circumstances as an invitation to his mercy? Could it be that the confusion you are experiencing in your life right now is actually the beginning of a new and fresh encounter with the living God? Could it be that the opposition you are facing is in fact the result and evidence of the Holy Spirit's wind at your back? Could it be that the gossip and slander you've had to endure is an invitation to go deeper into the living word of God? Could it be that the anger that caught you by surprise is in fact a call to join God on the front lines of his just and merciful kingdom? Could it be, in other words, that what you have been experiencing as an inconvenience, as an injustice, is God's way of breaking through your clutter to extend to you once again his mercy. 
can you come to love God's mercy for what it is? A mercy that will feel severe, but that it is always meant for your salvation. We've been in Jonah long enough now, a couple months, that we might forget just how strange God's plan for Jonah and for Nineveh is. Think of how Hollywood would retell the story. It wouldn't go down like this. Nobody would buy tickets. Jonah wouldn't be a prophet. He'd be a, he'd be a warrior. He would be sent not with a message of repentance, but with an elite fighting force of Israelite warriors who just can't take it anymore. They'd be tired of Assyria's oppression and ready to act. The climax of the movie wouldn't be a city sitting in sackcloth and ashes, but a city running with blood as Jonah and his army exacted vengeance upon Nineveh. These are the stories that sound fair and logical to our ears. But instead, God sends a reluctant prophet from a tiny nation from a besieged and frightened people. God sends the oppressed to the oppressor. He sends the victim to the perpetrator. He sends the weak and vulnerable to the strong and the powerful. And Jonah is not sent with a message of fairness, but of grace and mercy. He is sent with an invitation not to surrender or to captivity, but a message of repentance and freedom. We're paying attention. God's plan of salvation should sound unfair and even absurd to us. And if we're really paying attention, we might even be offended. Jonah was. It was not fair to him. It was absurd to him. He was offended by God's plan. Jonah had forgotten that this is how God always works. He had forgotten the testimonies of Abraham and Sarah and Moses and Ruth. He had forgotten that God has always meant to advance his salvation through Jonah's people, a small and vulnerable nation. Because he'd forgotten this about God, he thought that God's plan for Nineveh was unfair, absurd, and offensive. Are we destined to end up like Jonah, blind to God's mercy, sitting under the withering vines of our own assumptions and plans and disappointments? Is God's salvation plan simply too unfair or absurd for us? Jesus is confronted by the religious leaders of his day who ask for evidence of his power. Matthew twelve forty. Jesus replies, for as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. You and I, we would have chosen a more logical and easier path for Abraham, for Sarah, for Moses, for Ruth, for Esther, for Jonah, for ourselves. We would have chosen something more logical, something more fair, something less offensive for ourselves. God, on the other hand, did not choose anything different for himself. The clearest view 
of God's severe and saving mercy is expressed through what Jesus called the son, I'm sorry, the sign of Jonah. The sign of Jonah, the perfect son of God, come to save the world, not through a violent overthrow, but through a message that echoed Jonah's message. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Jesus wins our salvation not by demanding justice from us. None of us would be saved if he had. No, our salvation is won by Jesus through God's absurd and unfair mercy. The Son of Man, crucified on our behalf, three days in the heart of the earth, resurrected in victory. The sign of Jonah is a sign for us today. It is a sign, it is true, of our salvation. But it is also a sign of God's active mercy. It's a sign for us of a mercy that calls us and pushes us forward. God will call you from your weakness and your pain. Count on it. Just as Jesus was called to our weakness and our pain. God's mercy in your life will often not feel merciful, not at the beginning at least, just as the son's death felt nothing like mercy in that dark hour. God's salvation plan will seem unfair and absurd and maybe even offensive. It did to every one of Jesus' closest followers who abandoned and betrayed him, even in the moment he was accomplishing their salvation. But, But when we learn to love God's severe and saving mercy, when we love to learn, excuse me, when we learn to love the cross of Jesus, not as a religious relic, but as the key to understanding and participating in God's work in the world, everything changes. The call from our weakness becomes a call to his strength. The call from your pain becomes a call to your healing. The withering vines become experiences of new And fresh mercy. And the cross, the unfair, the absurd, the offensive cross, becomes something better than fairness, something better than logic. It becomes for us the way and the truth and the life. Amen? Let's pray. So, Spirit of God, we thank you for the testimony of your reluctant prophet. We thank you for a man um, with whom we can identify. We thank you for the way in which his story opens for us, not tips or tricks to living a better life, but a view of God that we need, a view of you that takes us beyond ourselves. I pray now for us, We ask for your mercy regularly, God, but I'm not sure we always know what we're asking for when we ask for your mercy. 
But we do pray that you would pour your mercy out in our lives. But as you do so, Spirit of God, would you keep us anchored to the cross of Jesus so that we would be able to rightly understand and interpret what it is God is doing in our lives. We wouldn't succumb to sort of the old ways that Jonah exhibits so well for us of understanding what you're doing, but that we would be so anchored and directed at the cross of Jesus that we would be able to understand in new and powerful ways what it is that you're doing in our life, God. So I pray now for those who feel uh, that there is a very specific withering vine under which they're sitting. And, and, and maybe for many of us, we have uh, uh, written that off. We have interpreted that as a place where you're not involved, where you're not active, a place where we just need to be de- delivered from. And yet maybe, maybe, maybe today you want to show us, remind us that this is a place where you're beckoning to us. This is maybe a place where you want to pour out fresh mercy in our lives a place where you want to take us deeper in you to remove old and distracted things from us so that we would have a fresh and deep and powerful encounter with you so that those things that have not been healed could be healed finally. So I I pray that your spirit would give us wisdom in this, that your cross would become, again, not simply a, a token of remembrance for us, but would become the lens through which we interpret all of our lives. We thank you, God, that you did not choose a more logical way. We would not be able to stand up to your logic. Thank you that you did not choose a more fair way, for we would never be fair enough. We thank you that you did just what you did, so that we could know the rescue and the love and the mercy of the God who created all things. So, as we wrap our time up together, provoke our hearts to worship and repentance. Open up our hearts and our minds to you more and more. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 I invite our ushers to come forward to receive the offering this morning. Um, just as a, a heads up, as, as they're coming forward, this wraps up our Jonah sermon series. Um, if you're in our community groups, I hope this has been a good experience for you. Uh, we'll be entering uh, Advent here in just a couple of weeks, um, not, I think in three Sundays, no, two Sundays, Advent begins, and so we'll be kind of spending some time preparing our hearts for Christ's coming, as we do every year. If you're not in a community group, it's be a great time to join as they do a short Advent uh, study together. Um, also, just so you know, coming up on the 21st of December is our Christmas service, Marquita and the choir are already planning and preparing for that. Uh, Rachel is working with our kids. We're going to hear our kids sing on that Sunday as well. Uh, We're purposefully designing this service um, so that you would have a safe place to invite friends and family members who are not in a church to come and worship with us. Uh, So please do take advantage of that. Uh, And then lastly, I would just say that... um, you know, I think Jonah has been an interesting series for us. And we've encountered... um, I think the Old Testament prophets do this for us. They show us a very big view of God. And they help us repent from the ways that we domesticate God. or We whittle him down to our size. Uh, and so I want to invite you to kind of an ongoing repentance before that God. Any ways in which you've kind of refashioned God to fit your life as it is or to make you feel better about your experience of your circumstances these days. This is an opportunity to say, no, that's, that's too small. 
That's not who God is. And to hear, to hear uh, the invitation to something much, much greater, much bigger, much more out of your control, let's be honest, and so much scarier, right? But also much more true, much more powerful, and much more able to take the broken and the cracked pieces of our lives and to do something new. Amen? 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 Uh, so uh, we'll receive the offering now. I just want to echo uh, what Zach and Warren said. Thank you for your uh, faithful giving. We will not be receiving an offering next week because we won't be here. We'll be serving. And so do, if you can just keep that in mind as you are thinking about your giving and we continue to try to make these goals over the, the next couple of months, uh, just please continue to be faithful and mindful about that. And so God, now receive this offering as a small response of our thanks to you for your generosity and your gratitude. Uh, thank you for the way you're at work among us. Thank you for uh, being present in the hardest news that we can hear of those we love who are suffering even this morning. And you're present even in those places where we look with expectancy and joy as Christine and her friends sit down with this pastor this afternoon. You're present in all of it. Your mercy is available and at work in all of it. Give us eyes to see and respond. Continue to provide for your church. Continue to allow us to be generous as individuals, but also as a congregation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So behold your people, Lord God, bowing before you and you alone. Remind us this week that there is no one else who can claim our lives. There is no other story that is more true. There is no other identity that is more solid than the one that comes from you. I pray for any this morning who for the very first time are kneeling before you. I pray that you would speak words of truth and welcome to their hearts. I pray for any of us this morning who feel like if we're honest, we can't kneel before you. And I thank you for that honesty. I thank you that this is a safe place to be exactly where we are and who we are. Continue to work your will and your way among us. Church, now please stand to receive the benediction. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, God, we thank you. thank you that there is anything that we can say about you. We thank you that there is anything that we can know about you. We thank you for Jesus who has shown us everything we need to know about the Father. We thank you for the cross and the empty tomb which has rearranged our entire lives, has turned us upside down, has introduced us into an entirely new kingdom that is coming even now through the presence of your spirit and your people. So send us now as people who have great hope and great joy. Send us as people who are not bound to the limited perspective of the withering vine hanging over our head. The people who have been empowered to see beyond ourselves to the great and mighty work that you are doing. A work that will be accomplished through us, but a work that will also transform us and heal us in the process. So give us great faith and great courage to continue to say yes to you. 
We love you. We love you. We love you. We love you. For you have first loved us. Thank you, Jesus. And the people of God said, amen. And amen. And amen. Hey, a couple of things before I send you out of here. If you didn't get a chance to give, please do so on your way out. Place your card uh, there. We'd love to uh, make sure to follow up with you. Our meeting, Sonia, starts in how many minutes? It's say two minutes. Our meeting starts in two minutes. Does that sound about right? So stick around for that. Unless you're coming to my house for the newcomer's lunch, in which case make your way uh, over there. We have a birthday uh, this morning, and so I'm going to lead us real quick. Miss Doris, one of our church mothers, and so uh, we don't get to do this all the time, but would you join me, please? Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, Miss Doris. Happy birthday to you. Thank you, Miss Doris. We're happy for all the ways you serve behind the scenes for our church. So go in peace to love and serve the Lord. We'll see you next week.